I've been asked many times, what are your swing thoughts as you're swinging? Well, I try to flat load my feet so I can snap load my power pack. As long as my number two power accumulator doesn't break down, I can reach maximum lag and drag pressure through impact fix. You see, the pivot is the utilization of multiple centers. Golf is geometrically oriented linear force. And if you think of all this, hopefully you'll hit shots like this. Hello and welcome to episode two of Full Swing Thoughts, a podcast from the Fried Egg. Uh, reviewing, recapping the Netflix docuseries, Full Swain. It is with Andy Johnson of the Fried Egg and the Shotgun Start, myself, Brendan Porath of the Fried Egg and Shotgun Start podcast, and Joseph Lamagna, a brilliant golf mind, friend of the program, occasional contributor to the Fried Egg. Uh, we will be recapping every episode. If you've not listened to episode one, uh, you're weird and going out of order, but we'll recap every episode as they roll out on Netflix. We're going to release these all, eight podcast episodes on each Netflix series uh show released on february 15th this is going to be on episode two this podcast episode two from full swing it's primarily on brooks kepka i would say but it tells the story of scotty scheffler's ascent it's kind of expertly told in uh their contrary states of mind states of game uh home lives i would say home lives i would say it focuses on the phoenix open which was scotty scheffler's first win and the Masters, which was Scotty Scheffler's, what was that, fourth win at that point? And Brooks's struggles at both. Brooks, a place where Phoenix obviously has had success. He's runner-up. He's won. Uh, he's broke down in tears after winning there. And that was where Scheffler, this guy we'd seen on the doorstep, finally break through. And then, of course, it's the first major championship. In episode one of this podcast, we talked about sort of the odd order of ordering of these episodes. Andy... Uh, pretty declaratively stated that this should have been episode one, right? It was weird that we were jumping into the season more or less at Harbortown on the PGA, which was the JT Spieth episode. Here we get more chronologically sensical telling, right? The Phoenix Open was the first time they shot, uh, I believe, this show. And then the Masters is obviously the first men's major of the year. Uh, as I noted in that, GQ said some Netflix suits had kind of flipped the order because I thought Brooks was too sad. So did I hit the, the nuts and bolts of this episode? Is there anything else you guys want to add as a high-level overview? Nope? Good. All right. Who do we want to dive into first? Brooks? Brooks just, I mean, I don't know what's real and what's fake, but there were cliches out the ass. They want to step on my throat. I want to step on theirs. Winning is an addiction, man. It's life and death. That's just how I think of it. I'd say that runs contra to some things he said in the past where he said events are warmups, where he said he didn't care about events and now is life and death. But Brooks has been full of contradictions often in his career. But this was this, I'd say, was a pretty open vein throughout the episode on Brooks Kepka. Do you agree with that? I, I felt like we learned how fragile Brooks Kepka is in this and. You know, I think it's like very common in life. A lot of times the, you know, louder people in the room, the people that make more brash statements are actually the ones that are a little bit, you know, fragile. And in a way, like the whole the, the whole episode, I thought really worked because of the juxtaposition. It, it felt like two ships passing in the night and they couldn't be more more different personalities. Yeah. Um, obviously, two elite elite competitors and and very you know elite golfers and what worked so well about the whole episode was just the difference in mentality you on one hand you've got scotty scheffler you know talking about how like 
at at the end of the day, it's all in God's hands. And on the other end of the spectrum, you have Brooks, who's just seemingly wrapped his meant wrapped mentally into a pretzel around, you know, some of the struggles that he's endured the last couple of years. Joseph, what was your kind of primary takeaway from this? Or, or is it just Brooks Kepka as a whole? What was your takeaway from this episode two? No, I'm going to go off of what Andy said. So I loved episode two. I thought what worked so well about it was the juxtaposition between Brooks having seen the bottom now after experiencing the top of golf and winning four major championships contrasted with Scotty Scheffler, who's at the top of the mountain here and he's just on cruise control. What I didn't like about episode one is that I didn't think the frenemies theme worked very well. I think this theme worked extremely well in episode two and kind of going back to like rediscovering why I love golf. I think the fragility of the sport is such an important, it is essential to the fabric of golf. And that was illuminated in this episode with so many different quotes and at so many different intersections between Scotty Scheffler and Brooks Kepka. So one thing I wanted to call call out and not to psychoanalyze Brooks too much, but I'm curious for your opinions on this. I, Brooks says something about the Phoenix Open. I love it. It almost feels like a real sport. Yes. And I think the reason he's doing that is that he's trying to create a little bit of distance between himself and the sport because he doesn't want to be vulnerable and admit that golf means a lot to him. And so when it does pass, he's already set that distance between himself and the sport to suggest like, this isn't everything to me. And I think that's why he's doing it. Any similar thoughts there? I I think he's kind of always towed that line. He's always said like, I like real sports. I don't watch golf, which is clearly like laid bare in this episode is maybe not accurate like he seems like he's consumed by golf he's consumed by his own swing he's consumed by the sport and those around them and what they're doing versus what he's doing but i love that quote real sport in relation to the one early in the episode where he goes when you're a kid there's always so many possibilities and it was talked about how he played baseball in the summer and then it would come around and play golf in the fall and it shows him like in these is is kind of kid days playing baseball and football and other sports When you're a kid, there's always so many possibilities. And now it feels like those possibilities have constricted him, right? And it's the only, and it's consuming him. The possibilities are gone. And it's his life is one thing. And as someone who's sort of tried to say he's never, like golf is just not a big part of his life. Like he likes real sports. He's not defined by it. Tried to play it too cool. Like I don't care if I win, quite honestly, like the Phoenix Open. He's always tried to delegitimize anything but the majors. And it just seems like it's way more important to him than that. And I love your, I do like your characterization of trying to remove himself, the real sport, trying to put some distance there because maybe it's on the end. Maybe it's on the out. And real quick, Andy, but he says something like, when I was playing my best, and I'm not a big stats guy, but I think I was some, I was best in the world from inside eight feet. He goes out of his way to put down certain elements of golf like why even include the line i'm not a big stats guy why would you preface i was the best in the world from eight feet with that he goes out of his way to put down the sport of golf and i think he's trying to create that distance and not be vulnerable to the fact that golf is his life i mean i one of the things that i kind of took away along these lines is just like how different Brooks uh, Kepka is in a in a traditional press conference versus Brooks Kepka when the Netflix cameras are rolling at home. Yeah. And yeah. how vulnerable he was in this versus the you know you 
you know, they're, they have that press conference after the, after the Phoenix open where he falls short and he just didn't play good enough. Just, a, you know, is he just dick to usual. Cameron Morfit, right? Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's kind of a dick, man. When he says man, like that's just so derogatory, you know, condescending, but go ahead. And it's just the same kind of thing, like where, you know, he puts up this, this icy demeanor of, I don't, you know, that that's that vibe that we've always said, like, he doesn't care about this or, you know, it's not a big deal to him. But then on the flip side, we saw at home how much he cared, you know, and um, I think I agree so much with what you're what you guys are saying about the space. And, and I, it's almost a way to prevent him from fe- feeling the lows of the sport. It feels like a coping mechanism. But. At the same time, when it doesn't work, we're at the stage of this coping mechanism not working for him. And I think it's it's this episode shows so much of him questioning what he's doing and how he's going about it. And it, you know, the fragility of the sport, like the idea that it can all fall apart because this was not he had this great quote. When you have it, you never never feel like you're going to lose it. And when you don't, you feel like you'll never get it back. I thought that was like, that's golf in a nutshell for everybody. My whole thing was trying to figure out, is he lying? What were lies to himself? What wasn't? Like, I think he's authentic throughout, but is he like, is this a moment of authenticity where he's telling a lie to himself? Where he's like, it's coming. I can see it from a while, mile away. I'm on my way back. Like, I, I'm just not winning. I have it. But then he's telling, saying he's the worst. Now he's the worst from inside eight feet. I'm the worst in the world. Like, he talks about... I was like, they told me I was never going to be good enough. I was never going to win anything as is on his way up, which I know he wasn't the elite prospect as, as a Spieth or Thomas, but like there's probably some straw men being created there that motivated him and built like, so I worked harder than everyone. And that's how he was driven. And now he's just sort of in a, in a constant state of flux of being quite open and honest with these cameras and trying to figure out how open and honest he is with himself and his game. Some of these quotes, just so we could run through it, he says, I definitely got the injury bug, which seems to like create that mental doubt, right? Yes. He talks about the hips and the knees. Like that only exacerbates that mental doubt. I think he thought his career was over in the last year. I think he didn't think he was going to play again because of injuries. He says, I can't compete with these guys. Yes. So, talks about embarrassing myself. Like you'd never hear Brooks talk about being embarrassed. He says, I embarrassed myself like that. He's talking about the bogey at 16 at Phoenix talks about felt really embarrassed. He goes, I don't know why. I still don't know why, but I felt really embarrassed. This was a big one. My whole career has been on the way up. And then this interjection says a lot. I don't want to say that I'm on the other side. It's like, it seems like maybe it's like that Foley quote from the last one with, with speed. Like he has the potential to be great again. Like that's kind of admittance that maybe he is on the other side saying that. I don't want to say I'm on the other side, but we're going down now and we need to figure out how to fuck to get out of this thing before it gets too late. When he just threw in that, I don't want to say I'm on the other side was a real kind of clear admittance of, of his uncertainty about maybe being there. And so it's just, it's just this doubt is the, the entire part of the Brooks story here in this episode. And I, I think these are the parts that made me most excited about the show is that especially for newcomers to golf, understanding that history is littered with golfers who have been through that experience is pretty fundamental towards understanding the sport. David Duval, like Ian Baker Finch, yeah. Jordan Spieth, like these highs and lows happen 
And I thought the episode did an amazing job in such a short, what, a 45-minute episode of encapsulating what's essential to understanding the sport. One of the things that I really was thinking about as the episode unfolded was like these two different personality types and like which type is like more sustainable of superstar golf and like this happy go lucky Scotty Scheffler who like, you know, only only believes to his core that like performance is just part of it, that there's this, you know, he's obviously very religious that like there's like. This is all and he talked about this in his press conference after the Masters, that this is all part of, you know, God's plan. And like this idea that, you know, I only control so much of this versus Brooks, who I think that story, I, I everybody always doubted me. I wasn't Spieth. I wasn't JT. I wasn't this superstar. And I had to work my way up. And, you know, he kind of came up with this chip on his shoulder and one of the things about Brooks is like he kind of stopped winning majors when he became the favorite. Obviously, like he wasn't yeah. even featured in the promo for that that PGA after he won two two majors and he goes out and he wins. He laps the field. He wins one more. But since he became that favorite, it's almost like he lost his edge. And and that whole everybody's doubting me type of persona that he's created in his mind that is like this distance is that really a sustainable mentality for high level golf over a long period of time versus this Scotty Scheffler like this type this the way he approaches the sport is so drastically different than the way Brooks approaches it is it fair to say Brooks one of the most mentally strong players in the game is now one of the most mentally fragile is that a conclusion you can draw from this episode? I think probably so. not the one he wants us to take. I mean, he's there. One of the most powerful moments is Jenna's trying to, you know, show outfits, right? And this is going to make this the talk about the mainstream appeal, like Jenna, Paulina being involved. Like, let's just be honest. Like, these are, and this is what the F1 show is, right? Like, they're integrating that into the show, right? This is part of the high level glitz, glamour, baller lifestyle of a pro golfer. She's going through her outfits and he's like, He's just checked out. He's completely checked out. He goes, this fucking thing can consume you. I can't turn it off. I thought it was a really powerful scene. And he's just checked out. He says, Jenna will be talking to me. And I'm thinking about my damn golf swing. Uh, it was pretty interesting. It, it's, he goes, it's interesting how mental it is. Uh, Scotty goes, that kid, I guarantee you, what he's thinking about is absolutely nothing. Nothing. And it gets to this mental part of the game that's hard for us as commentators to ever see like we can externally guess Paul Azinger can talk about pressure. He can talk about what the guy must be feeling in the shot, but all we do is see like their track man numbers, the shot flight, whether they make the shot, the score, on the, the score on the card and things like that. Right. And, but this part of the game that Brooks and Scotty, quite honestly, by his maybe unintentional demonstration in this episode, that may be as important, maybe the most important than anything is really well drawn out in this episode. And so this was not mentioned in the episode, but a powerful moment I will remember from the 2022 Masters is I know Scotty Scheffler before his round admitted he was crying. Yeah. And he said to his wife, like, I'm not sure if I can do this. I'm not sure if I'm capable of winning. And she said something back to him, like, whether you win or not, I'm still going to love you. And I'm still going to love you 10 years from now. And like how that was what he needed to hear to go out and win. He shared that with the media. 
And when you contrast that with how guarded Brooks is and pretending like golf is not important to him, they couldn't be more opposite. And I, I will always say I think Scotty Scheffler has one of the strongest mental games in golf. I think his relationship with Ted Scott is powerful. And when they're standing on the tee at the Masters, recounting a story of Meredith, Scotty's wife, spilling oh, yeah. popcorn on the hotel bed and they're that's laughing that, with each other, you need... Honestly, you need moments like that to kind of relax you, but to get comfortable and go out and play an elite round of golf. And then Scotty Scheffler won. Like, I don't think these things are always coincidental. I had popcorn in my bed rolling around in your boxers. He's getting the salty popcorn crumbs. That was a good story. I'm glad they got yeah. that. It was, it was added. How, how amusing was it how they cut from like Brooks's mansion with Jenna Just, and the pool and then they cut to like Scotty and Meredith going to the coffee shop. Coffee. Shout out Fairgrounds Expertly Coffee. Told. Awesome place because you got like 12, you every one of those you can pick from like 12 different local brew, brews, but it was just like an incredible, yep. inc- very powerful transition of like, yeah, these guys are so different. That was the best. I mean, I talk, started this episode saying it was expertly told, weaving the back and forth. That transition was, it's like this decadent scene at the pool with, you know, Jenna draping herself all over him, but while, with all these quotes of like, uncertainty and kind of downer quotes, right? This really glamorous scene with a bunch of downer quotes right into Scotty and Meredith. Like I love getting coffee, like this most innocent activity and most banal activity. And I love that. He said like, this is marriage. He said something about um, like, I like this one better, but that one's good too. The caramel's good too. Like just also like, he, like his choice was better, but yeah, I, I like the caramel too. Like that was the moment of, I don't know if it was a uh, controversy, but, but just admitting that both flavors were good. Yours is good too. I like mine better. Uh, but that was amusing. Just expertly told those transitions between where they are at their career, but also kind of who they are right now. Anything else on Brooks? Have we covered that? Um, one thing I have in my notes is Brooks's trophy room. Yeah. And how he doesn't spaces. put how he doesn't put up anything but the majors. <laughs> but got a big like spot for the masters. Yeah. And and like kind of how that contradicts like it it goes more into the contradicting of like messages of like how you really wanted to win Phoenix, right? Yeah. You could tell he really wanted to win Phoenix. But then he's like, you know, it continues to be like he refuses to admit to himself that every win is important. You know, does does he have the yips? Is that that moment at Medalist where he's like inside eight feet? And it's like it, it was almost like he was talking about mentally. He can't do it. Mentally, he has the yips. It made it seem like it was a mental thing, putting inside of eight feet. And I guess well, did they, this had, shit any- Go they had the guy, his putting coach at his house. And he's yeah. his putting coach is just sitting there watching him hit putts on like on a on a machine that to me is, illuminates that he really thinks it's a huge problem. So Jenna has a quote that's alarming. She says, I do worry about the future. I had that written down too. does this shed anything watching this shed any light on? Yeah. On his decision to do what he did. Does it does it clarify it? Does it explain it in any way? I, I know the GQ profile that we read seemed to i thought it made a distinction without a difference trying to say no he's not an old guy cashing in but it is a guy that fears his mortality like i don't know it it seems the injuries the injury bug part the lack of confidence i guess 
he went and won on Live, whatever that was. The Jetta one was that the Jetta he won the end of the Did season. Did he win that? Um, yeah, I think so. Does it help explain the move to Live? This sort of seeing him in a pretzel like this. I think it does. I think every human being handles uncertainty differently, and if you're not somebody who handles uncertainty super well, professional golf is a difficult career choice because there are no guarantees. Live offered a guarantee and he took it. Like it is pretty simple for me. I'm not sure it shed light in a profound way. I think it shed light in a very straightforward and simple way. Yeah, I agree. I think we saw how he just isn't as confident as his persona puts out there. Because I think if you looked at the profile of, of players that have gone to live really outside of Cam Smith, it's back end of your career guys or the other big names are Brooks and Bryson, both of whom, like ironically, have had very high highs, but injuries and confounding lows as well. So, you know, I think like as much as those guys dislike each other, they are kind of intertwined in a similar web of, uh, I think they're, they're people that are, at the end of the day, they don't have that much confidence in who exactly they are as individuals. Speaking of just Scotty, just sort of the other side of the coin, quote, I've never really been much of an expectations guy. Yes. Just that in the mix of, uh, and the other like sort of happy-go-lucky, I ah, just show up at a tournament and try to do my best, is what he said. <laughs> never been much of an expectations guy. Is such a quote that's woven into all the sort of the anguish of Brooks's about why why I should be winning, what the fuck, and all this thing. I thought that was a powerful quote in his car. Another, another Scotty quote that I think ties in directly with what we're talking about with Brooks. He says... There's only so many times in your career when you're going to be playing some really good golf and you've seen that happen for people. I'm just trying to keep it going. Even when you're playing your best, you still feel the weight of how difficult of a sport it is. I think that's where the Netflix nailed contrasting Scotty with Brooks because those two, their quotes, Scotty's on, you just got to ride this out as long as you can versus what Brooks is talking about and expressing self-doubt. I thought it played very well together. Let's talk about our friends at Zero Restriction. Uh, They are part of the Summit Golf Brands. You obviously heard in episode one. If you listened to episode one, maybe you jumped ahead that B. Dratty has come in to support us. They are part of the Summit Golf Brands family, as is Zero Restriction. Uh, They've supported us for a long time. Got us to Scotland this past summer, where we're still kind of able to release some content. We had our Muirfield Roundtable video uh, over the last week, I guess, for for this month. But uh, they've been a big uh, supporter of ours and what we do. And they're supporting full swing thoughts. I would recommend, as you know, I'd recommend everything, really. It's hard to pick, but I'd go with the power torque full zip. This is what they do. They've been doing the waterproof, windproof, weatherproof, whatever you want to proof you want to throw in there. That's kind of been their bread and butter for a long time. It's how the brand grew up. Uh, and power torque full zip is is one of those, right? It's what you want in the spring when I don't know, the weather's a little iffy. Maybe it's cold, maybe it's Maybe it gets hot. I think power torque is one that that gives you a little extra breathability. So yeah, when the weather gets a little iffy in the spring, go to zero restriction for for your waterproofing and weatherproofing needs. Listen, you know, I think the thing that goes under uh, appreciated the windproofing. The windproofing is key to early and late season golf, and we're approaching that early season golf. 
keeping that cold wind off you, you're going to feel great. And that's what, you know, the power torque does. I think that's, you could even wear this outside of golf because of the windproofing, you know, it allows you to have a lighter jacket, a little bit more, uh, you know, if you don't want to carry a poofy coat around all the time with you, you know, you can be a little poofier with your, with your outerwear selections and then throw the power torque over it and you're good to go. So listen, you know, one of the great things, the, the promo code, uh, fried egg 25 TFE, uh, 25, TFE 25, my bad TFE 25 does is when, you know, is rain gear is expensive. 25% off is a significant number. So, Use the promo code TFE25 if you're looking for an upgrade in some of your outerwear at zerorestriction.com. Thank you. And now back to the episode. Any, do you have any other like big amusing points or big takeaways before we flip to notes? Empty in the notebook. Anything else that, that kind of jumped amusing, out? That, amusing yeah. points? <laughs> Mine was the transition quite from the pool scene to the coffee shop. It was amusing. It was powerful too, but that was that was kind of cracked me up. Brooks, in a way, comes out of this episode to me feeling kind of like a Don Draper, Walter White type character where like I just I don't necessarily like it looks dubious. Go ahead. I don't necessarily I don't necessarily like him as a person, but I do like in a way feel bad for him. And I like think I'm actually going to come out of this like rooting for him because I feel I felt like his anguish was like very sincere. But one of the things I, I, this is what made me think about it. But like one of the most likable moments was I loved when the little kid at the Masters asked him where Jenna was. Yeah. <laughs> he's like, he's like, I, I want to I picture it. He's like, me too. Like, I just like, I found that so humorous. Like, that is like a, just a great rebuttal. Like, I don't think, like, when you think about like being, like, I, that was like a great example of quick wit and like personality that we just don't get from him in front of a camera usually, right? He, like, he said, he said, I'll let her know you were looking yeah, for her. her. I thought it was hilarious. Yeah. Lamania, <laughs> well, you seem skeptical that Brooks comes off as more like a, 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 a villain a villain hero or whatever the, the yeah. whatever that device is for the late you know recent dramas are you skeptical yeah. of that he's not more endearing to you after this as a uh, as a madman fan i think yeah. that's a little bit disrespectful to don draper and and one of my notes here there's a quote from brooks where he says i missed a good opportunity to feel like i could jump start the season he's talking about phoenix and he says it's f- frustrating as he would say it's frustrating because <laughs> I'm a professional golfer and he gives a knowing look Just and I'm, and I think Brooks is always like pretending like he's playing 4d chess and sometimes he's not like (laughs) I missed a good opportunity, which is frustrating because I'm a professional golfer. Like there's no hidden meaning there. There's no bigger point. Like we, what is that knowing look you're trying to give us? Yeah. I, I just, I think he is often pretending like he's playing 4d chess when chess isn't happening. (laughs) <laughs> that's a good point uh does it make you feel any more bullish or bearish about his immediate prospects or long term this season like is all of a sudden you think this was a trap and he's going to come out or is it just like he might be mentally gone or is it just changed nothing my expectations are pretty low for brooks and it didn't yeah. change them yeah i agree Andy? i'm not i i think i'm less bullish on brooks than uh than before yep all right, let's empty the notebook. Other notes, odds and ends. 
quickly. Ricky as narrator again bums me out. This one relied on a lot of narration to portray Brooks like as the big bad alpha. There was, you know, Dylan, Danny, Foley, Amanda Renner, just everybody was really kind of filling the gaps there on where Brooks was in the game in between his quotes about, you know, uncertainty now. And Ricky was kind of in that boat. He was like, he was that bumped me out as a narrator again. Uh, the marking the golf balls I thought was amusing. So sometimes when you're frustrated, it's just nice to look down and see something that you like when Brooks is marking his golf ball. It's kind of a little, uh, does that work? Maybe it works for some people when they're playing like shit and they see something they like on their golf ball. The Phoenix Open scenes made me feel old and just not interested in it. I'm not condemning the party. I'm not saying, like, there's just a lot of, I don't need to be a part of it. Any other notes you guys got? I got a bunch, bunch of them. I got, I got, I thought it was humorous that at this point we had Brooks in a barstool sweatshirt, knowing how that relationship later blew up. <laughs> what did Portnoy call them? Like a scumbag or something yeah. a million times? Yeah. Okay. Um, so that I found, I found yeah. humorous. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, I just think the one, I, I actually thought Jenna was pretty good at it. And I thought uh, Jenna talking about like the arc of their relationship and Brooks's successes, you know, it's kind of like it. I think it ties in really well with with like kind of life. Right. There's this like excitement when everything's new. And I think that's what Brooks really kind of went through is like this, like majors were new and he had all this success and it was really great. But then like real life kind of sets in and you're the, you've got, you're the guy with the bullet on the back of your chest or back of your, on your back. And like, that's where it kind of felt, it wasn't that new and exciting thing. Just like, you know, Jenna's talking about how he was winning all the time at the beginning of their relationship. And now it's the struggle and it's hard. I agree. I thought Jenna came across yeah. extremely well. And it is kind of a big part of your experience on tour, like who you're spending a lot of time with. So I, I, glean something from that um and uh, one of the other notes i had is kind of a good reminder that scotty scheffler won four times in 57 days like crazy that sometimes maybe gets glanced over but he won four times in six starts and when you think about somebody like brooks who doesn't feel like he's going to win a big tournament again anytime soon and then you think about how crazy it is that scotty scheffler won four times in 57 days after having not won i think it's a nice uh, it, important to reflect on the season that Scotty Scheffler had. Yeah. Speaking of that, I thought an amusing quote in there, Justin Thomas said, wins are everything that define a season for me. And of course that's the eternal struggle with professional golf. It's like, do you want to be a bunch of money? Is five top tens better than one win? I thought like Brooks and JT are certainly in a class that wins are all that matter. That's constant. Struggle. Do you think Scotty's that way? No. I don't after this. It's just like just expectations aren't a thing that drive me. Show up and do the best I can. Very process driven. Yeah, he had a moment like when I hit the shot, I'm very present when it's time to hit the shot. But like, it seems like that's all it is, is right? Those micro moments of, of the process. And then whatever it is at the end is what what happened. I think it's important. Like this is early Scotty Scheffler superstar. And I think yeah. it's important that... Listen, like if you talk to Brooks a year, that first year when he won sure. two, like it, I think this would be so much different. And that's like, that's the beauty of this is like the beauty of pairing these two was beyond the, the personality is like Scotty's kind of, kind of this year was kind of like very Brooks like it kind of came out of it didn't come out of nowhere. Like you knew Scotty Scheffler was a great player, but 
the historic run, as Joseph pointed out, four wins and six starts, that's historic stuff, did come out of nowhere. You know, like nobody saw that coming and he kind of became, so I'm very curious because like, you know, the back half of 2022 wasn't great for Scotty Scheffler. What if he regresses into a top 15 player like he was before? Like, you know, and that's, I think one of the neat things about the series and what excites me about the future of the series is that we're going to see different capsules and encapsulations of these guys' careers and where their heads are at. Because Brooks talked about like when I was playing, there was nothing. I didn't think about this stuff. I guarantee Scotty's not thinking about anything. That quote, it talks about the rise and the fall. And, you know, this is where like the where I felt really let down by the Spieth storyline in the last episode is that it didn't even touch on the fall and trying to build back from it, which then went into, you know, like that was the huge miss with Spieth. You know, and that's what this story did so well. Good point. Good point. Um, another Foley quote I liked. It's hard to tell a pro golfer that it's just golf, which I kind of gets back to the Mike Thomas stuff last year, last episode. Um, that just speaks for itself, right? You can't just like when Brooks is going through it, it's hard to tell somebody like that where it's life is, seems to be consumed that it's just golf. It's his job. That's his, he's a pro golfer. Um, what do you guys think of the Masters footage? Like, uh, what 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 they gathered from it? This was a way to tell the Tiger story, his return to professional golf, real quick, right? Like after people thought his leg was going to be amputated, it's his first story or first start. It was kind of a quick interlude, right? I don't think this closes the book on the story of the Masters. I thought they were supposed to follow Kaida Nakajima, just like I don't think. The PGA, I think Mito will probably maybe be a story. Andy's jumped ahead. Andy's watched all eight. And Joseph and I are kind of regulating, trying to record after we watch, you know, not get too far ahead. But I think that's good. I'm not condemning Andy's approach. We have different perspectives. But what did you think of the Masters footage? I, I didn't take a whole lot away from it. I thought it was cool that to see, like, the registration. Yeah. And, like, Brooks going in there and seeing the faces on of the past winners. Like, seeing a little bit of that I thought was really cool. Outside of that, I'm not sure I took a whole lot away from the Masters footage that I saw. Andy, what did you think? Yeah, I didn't take a ton away. I think that it's a very clear distinction that they've drawn with this, that this is about characters, you know? And it's not necessarily about the places that they're visiting, right? Because this goes to, like, the lack of setup on what these events are, right? Just like the last episode, they didn't really explain what the Masters even is. And I think that's where there's a little bit of a miss in, in turn, but I think it 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 showcases two episodes in that that's the overarching ideology. And we'll see how this thing keeps going as we keep talking about this. But could this be, you know, I, this was done in partnership with the PGA Tour is de-emphasizing the majors um oh, a long-term like strategy wow, you know that I, I, if you if you want to if you want to look at the credits of pga <laughs> tour employees on the credits so i go. would just i would just venture to say that there's a very clear like the players have have emphasized the majors but the show has de-emphasized the majors significantly and not just like set the table of what these places are like they sure they had 20 seconds where i think it was dylan's like you know it's the kentucky winning Derby the, yeah 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 but like really like the in the two major championships setting the table like i feel like they have not done any distinct distinction between harbor town 
to the PGA, to the Masters, to the like any discernible distinction between the waste management and and the majors. And it and to me that's kind of crazy. Did they explain that like if you win the Masters, you get a lifetime invitation? No. Like I don't think they got into any of that, and I think they should. Like I think those are important details and why like winning a green jacket is as special as anything else in golf. That that's a glaring miss in my opinion. The way I I would describe this like if you watch the tennis one, the majors are such the focus of the of the tennis one. And I think golf's more similar to to that than F1, right? Where you have like Definitely. all your events, right, that are all equal. But one organization involved with golf would like you to think that all the events are equal. And that seems that that and I, I did not thumb plan, on the scale situation going on. I did on not here? plan on but like you know, the 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 tennis one, the first two episodes are only about Australian Open. Right. If I took an alternative path of creating the series, it would have been like I would have had two masters episodes for sure out of eight. And it would have been like the ancillary lead up to the masters would have been the PGA tour footage. Right. 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 This is the PGA tour being placed equally alongside the majors, which is the one thing I mean, like if I was going to have one criticism about this, this episode was like the lack of emphasis on the masters and people might disagree with me, but Yep. It's an interesting theory as we get into episode two, three, early in part of the series. Any other notes you guys want to clear out or have we hit everything? Maybe cliche. I, I do think the Phoenix Open has a really special role in the in the world of golf and seeing Brooks walk out and everyone cheering. Like I know it can get overblown how much of a party it is and how special it is, but it really is a cool event. Yeah. And I think seeing some of that footage restored my interest in the spectacle of it. They do a good job of that. I think with some of the, the beats, the music, and like the walkout, uh, they do a good job to kind of add, fuel that hype. It, it did. It makes it feel like a bigger deal going into that arena. All right. Do we want to do the grades thing again? Do we want to do sure. It seems like we all liked this episode. Uh, probably, probably should mention at the end, at the end when they say, have you given Liv much thought to Brooks? And he kind of gives a look. Like, like I think that should be called out that that was part of the episode. Right. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. We just start to get into that. And of course, I wonder where when this was filmed, right? I mean, it was obviously different parts, but... I think it must have been right after the Masters, it felt like. Well, by all accounts, Brooks was pretty firm PGA Tour up until sometime in like... Well, he knew this May wasn't getting released, though. That's the thing. So he right. knew this wasn't getting released. So I wonder if that was like a later check-in maybe in May or June. I, I don't know. But yeah, it's interesting. It's, it's an interesting document to have as a, as a pre-lived time. It's just weird to see him on the PGA Tour now that that's no longer the case, too. So grades or thoughts I'm, overall? I'm giving positive? it an A. Okay. Love this episode. Joseph? I'm giving it an A. I, I also really enjoyed it. I thought it gives such a, a unique insight into the highs and the lows of golf. Yeah. And that's probably one of the most important pieces of experience in the sport. So I thought they'd capture that very well. Yeah, I agree with you. Just how expertly told it was flipping back and forth between the mentalities of, of guys at different points of their career and different points of successes. Why did that not work with like, it seems now both episodes we've done. It's like, they're trying to tell a story of two guys in each episode at different parts or on the up, on the down, like going up and coming down. 
Why did I, it not work in the first one, and why was it so well done? Because they here? refused to admit that Spieth was uh, was. <laughs> that's the thing is they they made it just felt like a concerted editorial decision to to protect Spieth. <laughs> I think equally, it was called frenemies, and it tried to make things out like at each event, Jordan's trying to beat Justin, and Justin's trying to beat Jordan. I don't think that's authentic. I don't think that's what's happening. Yeah. So. It's an individual sport. I don't think there's any player who looks at another name on a leaderboard and is trying to outpace him. So I just felt like the first episode fell short on authenticity. What do you think? Um, I I think the speed stuff was just kind of empty, empty-ish, right? We yes. didn't get a lot of speed. It, it just wasn't a good contrast to whatever they were trying to tell with JT, or at least a substantive contrast. And here you had such a stark telling of, of two different players two different mindsets and that's why it seemed to work and of course i mean brooks is is a really compelling character he can carry an episode right he can carry a a tournament he can carry a press room when he wants to and he did that in this episode which was really strong what grade would you give it brendan i guess i'll go a i'll go a i'll I'll jump off my pass fail punt and i'll I'll go a i think that i think the thing with all of them that we got we've gotten outside of Jordan is as you hit on is substance, right? And we got the substance. The thing is we got the JT substance more through Mike Thomas than JT. And maybe it's just, you know, it's, it's part of like the difficulty of, of telling these stories. If like Brooks, I think Brooks could have easily been very boring, but he, he opened up and he let everybody in. And I think that, to me was kind of the shocking thing about this was just how open he was given, you know, how, how closed off he usually is. And I think, I think that's the tough thing, right. Is like, you know, that I feel like there wasn't a secondary now that I'm thinking back to episode one, like, was there a secondary speed teller talker that, and I think that might've done the biggest harm is for JT. They had Mike Thomas, but who was the person that was giving us speed insight? Because I don't think anybody else from his camp was even willing to probably talk. His dad was Brother on all little. Those, his dad was on all those trips with Mike. Like he was playing at Southern Hills with them. He was on the private jet and obviously his agent or one of it's part- a buttoned up uh, operation at speed HQ. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. Big improvement on, on episode two for an A all around. We'll be back with uh, episode three uh, on full swing thoughts. Thanks for your uh, support. Is it and, Ian uh, Poulter? I don't know. You're ahead of us. I think, I it think it's Ian, Ian Poulter. Little Players Championship. Is that what it yeah. is? Maybe, uh-huh. maybe some of that. All right. We'll be back with episode three. Yeah.